Welcome to the Choose You Netcast. This is Jim Langlois with the word from Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's my prayer that this netcast will encourage and cheer you on as we join forces to draw the line in the sand, defending our faith and our households in the resurrection power of Jesus. Join me each weekday as we dig deeply into God's amazing word and bring up the rich treasures of his blessings. Are you ready? Choose you this day. Whom you will serve. But that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. I said, choose you this day, whom you will serve. But that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. Good morning, Networld, and thank you for tuning in. We're continuing with the series on the Family Bible Revolution, an end-time message for his generational blessing. We've been discussing the first essential of the Family Bible Revolution being family worship, and we've been learning what to share at home. What do we need our families to learn in the Bible? Things like prayer, worship, the Word, the Spirit, the gifts, and the prophetic. And yesterday we were talking about the Gospel. Oh, how important the gospel is. And we ended on Romans 5, 8 saying, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I heard that Jesus paid the penalty for me. And if I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, I could receive his gift and be free from the sin that was tormenting my life. Not a bad deal. I did. He did. And now 36 years later, it still gets better every day. Never a regret. I'm sold. Will never back up. Never back down. Always walking forward to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, there are trials and tribulations, but he has always pulled me through, and I come out better on the other side every time. I'm in good hands. How did it happen? I simply called on him. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I am so glad I called on the name of the Lord to be saved. It was February 11th, 1979. At about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning at Rock Church in Virginia Beach, I called on the name of the Lord, and my life has never been the same. Now, let's talk about the death of our Savior. In Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. One of the best descriptions I've ever read of the death of Christ is written by Rick Renner. It's out of his book, Sparkling Gems from the Greek, and this article was written for April the 24th. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety because it is a great, description of the death of Christ. Crucifixion was indisputably one of the cruelest and most barbaric forms of punishment in the ancient world. Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, described crucifixion as the most wretched of deaths. It was viewed with such horror that in one of Seneca's letter to Lucilius, Seneca wrote that suicide was preferable to crucifixion. Different parts of the world had different kinds of crucifixion. For example, in the East, the victim was beheaded and then hung in public display. 
among the Jews, the victim was first stoned to death and then hung on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23 commanded, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. But at the time Jesus was crucified, the grueling act of crucifixion was entirely in the hands of the Roman authorities. This punishment was reserved for the most serious offenders, usually for those who had committed some kind of treason or who had participated in or sponsored state terrorism. Because Israel hated the occupying Roman troops, insurrections frequently arose among the populace. As a deterrent to stop people from participating in revolts, crucifixion was regularly practiced in Jerusalem. By publicly crucifying those who attempted to overthrow the government, the Romans sent a strong signal of fear to those who might be tempted to follow in their steps. Once the offender reached the place where the crucifixion was to occur, he was laid on the crossbeam he carried with his arms outstretched. Then a soldier would drive a five-inch iron nail through each of his wrists into the crossbeam. After being nailed to the crossbeam, the victim was hoisted up by a rope, and the crossbeam was dropped into the notch on top of the upright post. When the crossbeam dropped into the groove, the victim suffered excruciating pain as his hands and wrists were wrenched by the sudden jerking motion. Then the weight of the victim's body caused his arms to be pulled out of their sockets. Josephus writes that the Roman soldiers, out of rage and hatred, amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures. Crucifixion was truly a vicious ordeal. When the victim was nailed to his cross, the nails were not driven through the palm of his hands, but through his wrists. Once the wrists were secured in place, the feet came next. First, the victim's legs would be positioned so that the feet were pointed downward, with the soles pressing against the post on which the victim was suspended. A long nail would then be driven between the bones of the feet, lodged firmly enough between those bones to prevent it from tearing through the feet as the victim arched upward, gasping for breath. In order for the victim to breathe, he had to push himself up with his feet, which were nailed to the vertical beam. However, because the pressure on his feet became so unbearable, it wasn't possible for him to remain long in this position, so eventually he would collapse back into the hanging position. As the victim pushed up and collapsed back down again and again over a long period of time, his shoulders eventually dislocated and popped out of joint. Soon, the out-of-joint shoulders were followed by the elbows and wrists. The various dislocations caused the arms to be extended up to nine inches longer than usual, resulting in terrible cramps in the victim's arm muscles and making it impossible for him to push himself upward any longer to breathe. When he was finally too exhausted and could no longer push himself upward on the nail lodged in his feet, the process of asphyxiation began. Due to the extreme loss of blood and hyperventilation, the victim would then begin to experience severe dehydration. We can see this process in Jesus' own crucifixion when he cried out, I thirst, in John 19.28. After several hours of this torment, the victim's heart would begin to fail. Next, his lungs would collapse and excess fluids would begin filling the lining of his heart and lungs, adding to the slow process of asphyxiation. 
When the Roman soldier came to determine whether or not Jesus was alive or dead, he thrust his spear into Jesus' side. One expert pointed out that if Jesus had been alive when the soldier did this, the soldier would have heard a loud sucking sound caused by the air being inhaled past the freshly made wound in the chest. But the Bible tells us that water and blood mixed together came pouring forth from the wound the spear had made, evidence that Jesus' heart and lungs had shut down and were filled with fluid. This was enough to assure the soldier that Jesus was already dead. It was customary for Roman soldiers to break the leg bones of a person being crucified, making it impossible for the victim to push himself upward to breathe and thus causing him to asphyxiate at a much quicker rate. However, because of the blood and water that gushed from Jesus' side, he was already considered dead. Since there was no reason for the soldiers to hasten Jesus' death, his legs were never broken. This, my friend, is a brief taste of Roman crucifixion. Wow, what a description. Thank you, Rick Renner, for that powerful explanation. The following scripture is amazing to me, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Let's look at Isaiah's prophetic word. The Amplified Version is very descriptive. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12 in the Amplified Version. Who has believed, trusted in, relied upon, and clung to our message of that which was revealed to us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been disclosed? For the servant of God grew up before him like a tender plant and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, royal kingly pomp, that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and pains, and acquainted with grief and sickness, and like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not appreciate his worth or have any esteem for him. Surely he has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him, and with the stripes that wounded him we are healed and made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away everyone to his own way, and the Lord has made to light upon him the guilt and iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he was submissive and opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation... Who among them considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken to his death for the transgression of my Isaiah's people, to whom the stroke was due? And they assigned him a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief and made him sick. When you and he make his life an offering for sin, and he has risen from the dead in time to come, he shall see his spiritual offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will and pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. 
by his knowledge of himself, which he possesses and imparts to others, shall my uncompromisingly righteous one, my servant, justify many and make many righteous, upright and in right standing with God. For he shall bear their iniquities and their guilt with the consequences, says the Lord. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great kings and rulers, and he shall divide the spoil with the mighty, because he poured out his life unto death, and he let himself be regarded as a criminal and be numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore and took away the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, the rebellious. What's the message? The gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. He came to seek and to save that which was lost out of Luke 19.10. Did he not do it? He has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. He carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Should we not share it? Well, that's all the time we have today. So I look forward to being with you in my next netcast. Mark your calendar. Set your clock and tune in next time as we continue in establishing the Family Bible Revolution, an end-time message for His generational blessing. I call you blessed. You have been listening to the Choose You Netcast with Jim Langlois. If you have enjoyed this program, you can find out more about Jim Langlois Ministries on the Master's House website at tmhnow.org. That's tmhnow.org. On the media tab, you can listen to many more messages, subscribe to my daily devotional emails, and follow the link to my blog site. If you'd like to write me or become a financial partner with this ministry, my address is The Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. That's The Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. Online donations can also be made at tmhnow.org, and my email address is pastorjim at tmhnow.org. This is Jim Langlois saying be blessed, you and your whole household. Until next time. Choose you this day, but that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house.